Welcome to the You Thought Wrong podcast, where we share stories of individuals just like you who have found ways to conquer their fears and are excelling at life. Hey guys, welcome to uh, You Thought Wrong podcast. Uh, we're here with uh, Shane Smith. Uh, I've known Shane for quite some time now. I have seen him uh, grow into the man that he is today. Uh, he is a person that uh, has been through a lot and has overcome a lot at the same time. Um, I'll let him explain a little bit of his background uh, so you can understand uh, the unfortunate and fortunate things that he has gone through life uh, and how thankful he is to uh, still be here today with us. Thanks for having me. No problem. Appreciate it. No worries. Uh, yeah, we've been talking about doing this for a while, yeah. so I'm pretty excited to, <laughs> Very to be on the podcast. Um, yeah, it's like just sitting back and listening to your intro, it's really interesting because, you know, you know me well enough to know that... Uh, what my response was going to be to that where you said the fortunate and unfortunate and really like I've, i don't believe that any thing that i've gone through is unfortunate right mm-hmm. and that's I've, why i appreciate who you are right yeah, yeah and that's you know that's what life is it's it's a series of events that help shape you and mold you and turn you into the person that you are meant to become yeah right so as you can now see i'm a multiple amputee um, when I was four months old, I contracted a form of meningitis called meningococcal septicemia. Okay. How long for, did it take you to learn how to say that? <laughs> to learn how to say it, not so long, but uh, let's just say I use Siri quite often for spelling it. Yeah. <laughs> and what it did was it attacked my bloodstream. Okay. So all the blood in my body stopped flowing and the doctors had to find where and amputate. And, you know, a lot of the times when I tell this story... I don't have the time to get into the details of, yeah. of really what had happened. And everyone always says to me, Shane, you're so strong. Oh my goodness, you've been through so much. Yeah. I don't remember it, yeah, right? Yeah. Like, you're, you're I was four, four months, months yeah. right? So, you know, my mom is the tough one, is the strong one. She had to go through it, right? Not me. I mean, yeah, okay, I physically, physically went, through. went through it, but she went through it. Yeah, emotionally. Right? Um, thought she was going to lose you. Yeah, I mean, they they told her there was a less than 2% chance for me to survive, where the night before I had a little rash, nothing, yeah, nothing. too crazy. And then the next morning, we I woke up, and she was taking me to the babysitter who you know lives at uh, York Mills, so we're, we're driving to the babysitter, and she looked, and the rash was a little bigger than it was the night before. We stopped at a traffic light, and she turned around, and it was a little bigger than when she had checked a few minutes ago. Mm-hmm. By the time we got to the babysitter, I was red. Yeah. My whole body was red. So she knew something was up. Yeah, so they rushed me directly to North York General. And uh, by the time they got from York Mills and Leslie to North York General Hospital, my skin had gone from red to black and I wasn't breathing anymore. Wow. So... So within minutes... Yeah, it it struck. And they rushed me inside. And the way my mom tells it is that uh, the triage nurse told her to sit and wait her turn. Oh, wow. Yeah. And my mom said, my baby's dying. Yeah. And the triage nurse again said, ma'am, you're going to have to calm down. Please sit down and wait your turn. And thankfully, as this commotion was going on, 
there was a doctor walking by and he said, said no. we need to get this baby in stat, yeah. like right now and off we went and i can only imagine what my mom was going through because obviously with all the doctors and the, they didn't they couldn't take care of me at uh, yeah. North York General, they had to send me to sick kids. Okay, yeah. But the, with all the equipment they needed to keep me alive, yeah. my mom couldn't come in the ambulance. So my mom had to take her own car yeah. and follow the ambulance. Well, and and what and what and the things going through her mind probably too, right, right exactly especially since unknown, we right? got separated yeah. and she got there about four hours before me. I had an episode in the amb- ambulance and uh, yeah, so four hours later I showed up and at first. The doctors had said to her, I'm sorry, there's nothing we can do. Try again. There's like, there's literally a less than 2% chance we're going to be able to save him. And, you know, you've met my mom, so you know she's one tough lady. Yeah, yeah. And she she said, sorry, 0% chance? They said, no, less than two. So she goes, so not zero then. Yeah. Why are we still talking and why why are you not working? And... I, I really believe that I'm a firm believer in that love and, you know, not just babies, but people feel that love and people grow from that love. And I really believe that the love from my mother is what, you know, ultimately pulled me through and saved my life. For sure. That's amazing. No, I'm like, I can only imagine what your mom is going through as you were saying, like just uh, the unknown and the thoughts that go through people's heads and stuff, especially when you're just a baby, like you have you're, you're you you can't do anything for yourself at that moment you know so yeah. she she feels she's the caretaker and she needs to do everything she can right yeah. and <clears throat> thankful she is a tough lady right because you may not be here because she someone says when a doctor tells you okay like there's no chance you're supposed to listen to them right for sure and so. you know she for the next four months she never slept on a bed. She slept on two hospital chairs put together. She didn't leave my side. Yeah. And she, you know, I heard her tell this story recently where she told the doctor there was something wrong and that like, I wasn't doing well. And the doctor said, well, like, it's showing that everything's, like, all right. And she's mm-hmm. like, no, 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 there's something wrong. Like, And he was like, oh, are you a doctor? And she goes, doctor, mom. Yeah. And, like, that's how she just, she, that's how she spoke to the doctors. And ultimately, I was dehydrated. Yeah. Right. So, and she can sense that, right? Like, as like for being so young, she's still, she's probably like has like breastfeeding and everything too. So yeah. she's still going through the pregnancy technically, yeah. right? So she's feeling what you are feeling and going through, right? So, yeah, yeah and like you gotta you gotta mm-hmm. understand your body and your kids' yeah. bodies and stuff, and they're usually your your gut instincts are usually exactly. right. Exactly. So, how long were you in the hospital for? You said four months. Yeah, so I was, I want to say, I don't actually know all the details because ultimately, like, it sounds bad, but, like, I don't care. Yeah. It happened. I believe I was in hospital from four months old to eight months old. That's what I believe to be the the facts. Mm-hmm. But uh, I'll have to check on that and see if I was right. Because, <laughs> again, like, it's one of those things where, like, it happened. Yeah. Knowing the facts... Okay, yeah, it might be, like, nice to know, like, whatever, but it's not going to change it for me, right? So, at at that point, like, it it just doesn't matter, right? Yeah. So, what, uh, like, what came through, I know, like, just being through Sick Kids is an amazing, like, foundation and hospital. Um, They've done so much. We're so lucky to be in Toronto, first off, right? Like, 
and having those programs. Um, and how do you feel like they helped you, not just physically but emotionally too, to help you, you know, feel normal in society and stuff. And as you said, like you, your normal is from being like one years old right. until now, right? And like you've you've not known anything other. But uh, like, how have they helped you to just progress, just to, to feel, you know, part of society? Essentially, when people look at you, they think they feel sorry for you right. and everything, right? No, it's it's amazing. You said you know, living in Toronto, we're so lucky, and, and like, I believe that if I was if I was born anywhere else in the world, I might not have had the opportunity to survive that I did, right? Yeah. And I mean, living in Canada, <laughs> we have such great you know, systems in place. Sorry, there's a fly no, in here, guys. We're no. good, we're good. It's just, uh, you know, just taking advantage of the situation, being part of the podcast. You stuff, know? You know, it's our little friend, so I don't mind him. <laughs> Positivity, right? <laughs> um, no, so there's amazing programs in Toronto, you know, and, and Canada in general. Um, I started, you know, horseback riding at a very young age where that was really the first sport that yeah. I got into, but it wasn't for sport when I got into it. Um, it's very good therapy when you can't walk. Yeah, riding a horse when you're sitting on the horse, you feel the movement of the horse's legs, mm -hmm. and like it teaches you how to walk. Right, so that was the first kind of thing I got into. Okay. Um, there's also a program called War Amps, where you know people with with amputations can get together with other people with amputations, and yeah. they have seminars and. You learn about all these other devices that are out there for you. You yeah. meet other people. And, like, you know, I, I remember being a teenager and learning about dating and girls and yeah. all that stuff. And they have a... It all went downhill from there. Yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> <laughs> they, uh, they have a thing called Teen Talk. Yeah. Where the parents aren't invited. And it's just the kids that are, like, 16 to 18. Yeah. Ran by one of the other, you know, young counselors that are, like, 21. Yeah. And you just sit and you talk about these issues that, you like know. You feel comfortable. Exactly. That, that, you know, you might have as a, as a youth with a, you know, physical disability with amputations. I mean, I never had those problems. <laughs> but, no. You're just a good looking, you know. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but, no. It, War Amps was huge. And I would be... You know, I wouldn't be anywhere in life without the next place we're going to talk about, which uh, Julian was fortunate to come with me um, a few weeks back. I was, Variety Village, yeah, 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 I was inducted into Variety Village's um, Hall of Fame, which is an amazing feat for his uh, basketball, wheelchair basketball. Yeah. Um, how long were you, have you been connected with uh, Variety Village? So my story my I, I really believe my life my life really started when I found Variety Village mm -hmm. um, for those of you who don't know what Variety Village is is it's a sports and training center for everyone right not just for people with challenges not just for able-bodied people mm -hmm. not just for people with you know physical challenges it's for everyone there's people that are blind there's people that are deaf there's people with cognitive disabilities. There's people with learning disabilities. Yeah. There's people with no disability. Like, it is the greatest place ever. Yeah. So just like a little mini world of yeah. people coming. It's a community. Yeah. Just, you know, yeah. being, being together yeah. no matter what. And I, I found Variety Village in a really cool way. Um, white boy growing up in Toronto obviously loved hockey. 
right? So I started playing hockey when I was seven. And, you know, I always had a little bit of flavor to me. Yeah. Like, you know, ever, <laughs> ever since I was real young. <laughs> so basketball was always my favorite sport. Yeah. And um, one of the guys I was playing against in a hockey game said, hey, I'm going to play wheelchair basketball at Variety Village. You should come check it out. Yeah. He was a couple years older than me. If you ask me, this guy's one of the best athletes in history. His name's Brad Bowden. He has a gold medal with wheelchair basketball and a gold medal with sledge hockey in the Paralympics. Wow. So, I mean, how, I'd like to see LeBron throw on a pair of skates <laughs> yeah. and win a gold medal, right? Exactly, yeah. So, it was really cool that he invited me. And I was, like, super cute back then when I was eight. I could just look <laughs> at my mom, bat my eyes, and it was, yeah. it was done, right? doesn't work so well anymore. <laughs> but... Here we go. Why can we go check out Variety Village yeah. and wheelchair basketball? And at this point, we'd never even heard of Variety Village before. And off we went, and I wheeled through the doors, and I go into the gym. There's three consecutive uh, basketball courts, and there was basketball going on on the first court. Yeah. And my eyes just lit up. Yeah. I was like, I'd never even heard of it's wheelchair like basketball. Right yeah, <laughs> exactly, right? So. I, I wheel up to the coach. Um, his name's Steve Bylois, who uh, we'll talk about Steve, I'm sure, at some point yeah, yeah. in this I met him, podcast. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I wheeled up to him, and eight years old, I didn't say hello. I didn't say, How are you? What's your name? Nothing. I just I asked him, I said, Can I play? Hmm. And Steve said yes. And my mom said yes. And Archie Allison, who was working at Variety Village, said yes. And Joe Millage, who was the director at Variety Village, said yes. And everybody else said, what are you guys thinking? Yeah. He's got half a hand <laughs> and no legs. He can barely push his wheelchair. Yeah. How the hell do you expect him to play wheelchair basketball? And they said, we don't care if he just wheels up and down the court. Yeah. Just touch the ball once, just, whatever. Exactly. We just want him to understand what it is to play on a team and to play basketball. Yeah. How was that feeling for your first your first game, let's say, just to, to be part of it? Oh, it was awesome. I was just a little kid having fun, yeah. right? You, were, you had no expectations? No, and... I didn't think I was going to amount to anything. I didn't care. I like that. The thought of, I hope I can do something in this sport, didn't even cross my mind. I just yeah. wanted to play. Yeah. Right? And yeah, when you're that young. Like... Yeah, exactly. And, and four years went by. And, like, I hadn't scored a basket yet, yeah. <laughs> but I was still having so much fun. Yeah. And as you guys can probably tell by now, a little bit sarcastic, a little bit of a jerk. <laughs> and uh, Steve, being a good coach, could sense that. Yeah. And I was yeah, getting a little faster. He adapted with you, kind of. Yeah, exactly. And I was getting a little faster, getting a little smarter on the court. And he came up to me with the ball underneath his arm, and he's like, hey, uh, you know, when I first let you play, a lot of people told me not to and that you were never going to be able to score a basket or push your chair or yeah. really do anything. Just thought I'd let you know. And he put the ball down and he walked away. I picked up the ball and I stayed there for three hours until one of the baskets went in. Yeah. Okay, I scored. What a feeling. Went nuts. Amazing. Only my mom and myself were in the gym at the time. That's cool. But I scored. Yeah. That was the goal. That was the goal. A few weeks later, I scored during a layup drill at practice. Everyone went nuts. A few weeks later, I scored during a scrimmage 
And then a few weeks later, I scored during a game. Now I'm 12 years old at this point, and I finally started to score a little bit. Yeah. Two years go by. I'm 14. I get a call from Steve saying, hey, I need you to come in a little early. We need to have a chat. Anytime, anyone who's been in a relationship knows anytime you hear the words like, yo, we need to talk. Yeah. It's not usually a good sign. Um, so here I am thinking like, oh, whose like daughter did yeah. I flirt with or something <laughs> like that, right? So off I go a little early and Steve says, I'm sorry, but you're, uh, you're cut. You're not allowed to play anymore. So what do you mean? Like, what did I do wrong? Like, what do, you, what do you mean, Steve? Like, I can't play anymore. He's like, well, we're having complaints from coaches around the league. Um, you're too good. We need to move you up to the league for guys that are 18 to 22. I was 14. Mm, nice. What a, what a feeling. Yeah. Right? And so then, he, since he knew how sarcastic you were, exactly, he wanted to kind of wanted to, Exactly. He had to deal with me for so long at this point, right? And then at 15... I made the Ontario junior team getting ready to go to uh, on t- like Canadian championships. Yeah. Off we go. And it's in Alberta. I'm a city boy in yeah. Toronto, right? Like, why do I want to go to Alberta? <laughs> like, off we go to Alberta. And I have a great tournament. My team doesn't do too well. Yeah. But I have a great tournament. I make the all-star team. Nice. And uh, Steve was actually the coach of the Canadian junior team. So this is the top 12 players under the age of 23 in our whole country. Now, at this point, I'm 15. The next oldest guy, or the next youngest guy on the team is 19. So you're the youngest. I was the youngest. But I had to try out. Yeah. And I was called my mom, and I was like, hey, like, I miss, I had a girlfriend at the time. I missed her. I wanted to come home. Yeah. I, I was already in Alberta for the weekend. I don't want to be there for a whole week now, too. Yeah. And you know how parents just have that one card up their sleeve where they're like, hey, if you do this, I'll uh, consider this. <laughs> yeah. Right? And my mom knew how to, how to manipulate me. She's, yeah. I have a Jewish mother, right? So she knows the guilt <laughs> and the manipulation. She's yeah. great at it. But she saw the opportunity. She too. saw the opportunity. Exactly. So thinking that it was just a great opportunity for me mm-hmm. to try out. I wasn't going to make the team. I was 15. Yeah. But... She wanted me to have that experience of trying out so that way when it came time for me to actually make the team, I was ready. You know how hard it would be. Exactly. So she says, I'll tell you what, if you make the team, not only can you get a tattoo, I was 15, (laughs) I'll pay for it. You're 15 years old, you hear the words, mom's going to pay for a tattoo? (laughs) Okay, fine. Let's go. (laughs) A week later, call my mom. She goes, was it just an amazing experience? I'm sorry, like, you didn't make the team. Yeah. I said, I hope we've got some money saved up. (laughs) We're going to England. And I I made the World Juniors team at 15. Amazing. Which, you know, was an incredible experience. Yeah. Um, I've played in, with basketball, I've played in two World Junior Championships. I've played in two Canada Games tournaments. And at the one Canada Games, my most recent Canada Games, I was the flag bearer for Team Ontario, Amazing. which of all my accomplishments so far yeah. in sport, I can't really put into words how that made me feel. Because yeah. like I said, I'm a huge sports fan in general. I'm a huge hockey fan. Yeah. I was chosen to be the flag bearer for Ontario. I had Max Domi and Darnell Nurse walking behind Amazing. me. Right, like just amazing feeling. uh, 
Jordan Subban was there. Like all these guys who are in the NHL now, yeah. I'm leading them. And really cool. Max and I are actually still fairly good buddies. Nice. And uh, I'm a few years older than, than Max, but he was in his last year of high school. And anyone who knows Toronto hockey might not know Max, but definitely know Max's knows Max's dad, yeah. Ty Domi. <laughs> right? Too hard headed. Little guys. <laughs> right? And just a little guy, a lot of fire, you know, and like really an inspiration. He's one of the smallest guys to ever play the sport, but yeah. I would, you know, argue probably one of the toughest, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. And, so. and Max had to do a project in school for someone that inspired him or whatever. So obviously he's gonna write a paper about his dad. Yeah. Right? And I get a call and hey, but it's Max, like what's going on? I have to do this project. Can I can I write my, my paper on you? That's amazing. And, you know, it was it was a really cool experience and you know, Max is such a good guy. Yeah. Um, when we had a rugby tournament out in Phoenix while he was playing for the Coyotes, yeah. he sent me, my coach, my captain, and my assistant coach tickets to the game. Oh, nice. You know, passes to come underneath to meet to, to meet the players and everything. Amazing. So yeah, that's pretty cool. Really, really. Just good from that there. experience, you just made those connections. Exactly. And just. Just being all around good person and then you never know what you're going to get. Exactly, right? right? And that's that's what it is, right? Is All this stuff came from me not caring yeah. that people thought that I wasn't going to be anything in, yeah. in basketball, right? How does how that like, um, like really pushed you in a sense of not caring what people think, not having expectations of others and yourself? Like... How has that uh, really played into effect? I would assume like after you made that team, then it was just like, okay, go time kind of thing. Yeah, and that's just it, right? Like, And it's not even so much not caring what other people think or what other people say or whatever. It's using it as, as fuel and yeah. as fire, right? I think we can all openly admit not everyone that we meet in life is gonna like you not everyone we meet in life is gonna treat you with respect and kindness and it's just human you know it's humanity right we're not all made the same way and not everyone's chemistry clicks and connects with everyone else's right it's just how it is but for me personally when someone says to me you can't you're not going to it's not gonna happen (laughs) <laughs> try again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't try again because this is the best result you're going to get. Well, you thought wrong. Exactly. <laughs> and that's where I was going. With that, right? like, you thought wrong. Get out of here. Not yeah. <laughs> Tell me more stuff that I can't do so yeah. that I can prove you wrong because I'm going to do it. Yeah. I'm going to do it better than you and I'm going to laugh at you while I'm doing it better than you. Exactly. Right? And so, and that's like kind of segue into like your no limit. Um, when did uh, that start for you? As soon as like, I got well, sick, I guess, really. I was going to say, like, <laughs> but, when did it, like, yeah. come to, like, fruition um, of, like, okay, this is going to be, like, my my thing, my go-to for, especially because now you're a public speaker, um, like, how, how, when did you start with the No Limit, essentially? All right, so, No Limit started. Uh, <laughs> I guess I can be as open and honest as, as yeah, yeah. possible, right? Um, it started after a, a breakup. I was with an ex for a very long time. And out of the blue, broke up with me. 
over the phone yeah. and sent me down an Rocky intense road. path. <laughs> a very yeah, intense path. Because people, I, like, just to go off topic a little bit, um, I know people would assume that uh, with your disabilities and stuff, you don't always go through what <laughs> normal people go through. But you've had your, your ups and downs with uh, alcohol and going to um, some <laughs> to, to throw yeah. some cash around sometimes. <laughs> yeah, that's why I'm in my situation now. <laughs> <laughs> you um, know, um, so it's, it's uh, you know, being, being a human being and going through ups and downs and, and take, going to different vices and stuff to, to, to make yourself, quote unquote, feel better. Yeah. Um, and sometimes it uh, teaches you a lesson that that maybe that that could be the only way that you would have learned it if you know yeah and that's that's exactly what it was i mean i after this breakup who i was got lost in the shuffle Mm -hmm. right i totally lost myself i was a puppy in love yeah i was young in my early 20s and uh yeah, I didn't know how to be myself without her. Yeah. So what do you do? You mask it with drugs. Yeah. And that's what I did. Um, I was you know, less smoking weed, which, you know, back then I smoked a lot of weed. But that became less and less frequent. And uh, cocaine became my drug of choice. And I was getting high every day mm-hmm. uh, for two years straight. Did a gram of coke every day. Yeah. Um, was at the strip club almost every night and I was just I was killing myself really yeah. like there's no other way to describe it right I was when do you feel that like you hit like I guess rock bottom and then kind of realized gotta switch gears so two events kind of took place within a very close time period that kind of woke me up yeah flip the switch kind of yeah and uh the first one my mom and i were best friends um and she kicked me out for the first time ever not so much kicked me out but suggested that i go stay with my buddy david for a couple weeks she didn't know she knew i was acting out she didn't know the, the 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 drug side of things yeah so I went to stay at David's place for a couple of weeks. And uh, that was the first time my mom and I really got into it. Yeah. So that was a shock to me when she said, just stay away from the house for a couple of weeks. I'm your baby, mama. Right? Exactly. <laughs> so I went and <clears throat> slept on uh, a mattress in David's basement, which obviously, like, yeah, we had so much fun, but, like... You went home-cooked meals and yeah. not your bed. Exactly. So that happened and then not long after that i went back home and i uh my very good close brother uh cody and i went to my dad's for christmas and cody and i started doing cocaine with my dad yeah and like as a parent smoking a joint with your kid i can understand it's not something i would do but i under something i would understand like okay like uh, especially since weed is becoming more and more yeah. um, normalized, accept, acceptable, right? Yeah, yeah. 
And yeah, so my dad did coke with Cody and I. And I had a really bad trip. I ended up in my boxers in the on the in the backyard in a snowbank and still was overheating. Yeah. And I woke up the next day and driving home with Cody, I looked at him and I said, "What the hell happened last night?" Yeah. Like this is insane. And we just chatted on the drive home. And you know how when boys get like riled up, yeah. they just start saying dumb dumb <laughs> stuff. And me and Cody were like, I'm driving and he lives my dad lived in uh Peterborough at the time. So it was a far drive back to Toronto. So we're just, you know, talking nonsense the whole drive, like yeah. slapping each other on the chest <laughs> and like whatever, whatever. And then he's like, Bro, you're a ten. There's no limit to what can and then I looked at him and I was like, Oh my god. No limit. And then I called Brayden, who is another really good friend of ours. And uh, I started chatting with Brayden about this no limit stuff. And Brayden, Brayden really is like the best of us <laughs> when it comes to, you know, having his, his stuff together. And uh, he was like, let's do it. Let's, let's get it going. Yeah. And he loved the idea of no limit. And for the first, I want to say four years of me doing motivational speaking. Yeah. Braden traveled with me yeah, mm-hmm. and introduced me at every single presentation that I did. Yes. And it was just, yeah, it was really cool to, to change that mindset. And then yeah. obviously like for the first little bit of my speaking career, I still wasn't like fully healthy and everything like that. And then one day I woke up and I wheeled into my mom's room and I looked at her and I was like, I'm ready. Yeah. She goes, all right. I go, I'm ready. It's like, okay. For do what you gotta do. For for what? (laughs) I go to to start my life. I was 23. Yeah. And things started to pick up for me after that. Like really started to pick up for me. Nice. So... So, like, how many kids do you think you've spoken in front of? Thousands? Over 750,000. Nice. Um, I had a... We did a job with... um, We partnered with a company called Tutor Doctor. Okay. um, In-home tutoring service. Um, Amazing company. Amazing ownership. Um, Yeah, they're just an incredible company. And they saw a great opportunity with with my speaking, yeah. where they had franchisees all over the world. Um, one of they're one of the fastest growing you know companies yeah. ever. So they they brought me on, and basically the franchisee would pay to bring me out, nice, and put me up in a hotel. Yeah, and, and head office would would pay me so you so, traveled all over yeah uh all over north america yeah, north america the United states and canada yeah. so it, it was that was a really cool opportunity um yeah how was it doing your, like your first your first uh public speaking and then just the kind of like the feedback that you got from well maybe your first few if you didn't get too much feedback from your first one exactly no it was it was really interesting because obviously like you're gonna have positive and negative feedback yeah always with anything you do um i would say 99 percent of the feedback 
I get is amazing. You know, the amount of kids I've had message me on social media telling me that they were thinking about committing suicide until they heard me speak and it totally changed their perspective on life. There's no words to describe how that can make you feel right so it's just as much therapy for me yeah as as it is for them it's funny the one really negative like really negative feedback that i got i got about a three page long email intense from a from a principal um telling me and i was speaking to kids that were grades seven eight and nine so like they're not little kids they understand what's going on (laughs) they've heard a few f-bombs right where like i didn't even like cuss or anything because i was warned beforehand that it was a school that was a little more conservative and not to like you know no s-bombs even right so i was like okay but i take questions and answers afterwards so one of the things i got in trouble for was um, that relationship we had talked about earlier in the podcast, mm-hmm. I talked about that relationship and it was how, so she, for a few months, um, her parents had, weren't together and her parents had kicked her out okay. and she lived with my mom and I. So I got in trouble for telling the kids that her and I lived together before we were married. <laughs> and the best part was of this email was I got asked by one of the students Obviously, you can probably tell by my swagger. I'm a bit of a hip-hop head. Yeah. And uh, I got asked who my favorite rapper was. Anyone who knows me knows, hands down, it's the blonde-haired white boy. <laughs> Eminem, hands down, is my favorite favorite rapper of all time. Yeah. And I got in trouble for saying that Eminem is my favorite rapper. This school is in Detroit. <laughs> Yeah, you're so you're gonna tell me that these kids from Detroit <laughs> don't like Eminem? Don't know who Eminem is? Come on, man. <laughs> these kids are either like really like right folded on you know and do not look do not look to the side right. You know, but it's funny because the kids weren't like that at all. The feedback I got from the kids was amazing. Yeah, you know I think. But it's uh, an the, adult thinking. Yes. Speak, speaking for the kids. Yeah. Thinking they know the best for what exactly. the kids need to learn exactly and, and where and stuff. you know that same school. I had so many kids tell me that it's exactly what they needed to hear, everything that I said, and da 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 da. da. So it's like really, you're not you're not speaking to to just one person. You're speaking to a everyone, a group of people exactly. that are going through different situations. Everybody's going through their own shit, and you make it like you make your shit the same level as theirs. Exactly, and you kind of bring it down and just be like, if I can do this, you can do it. Exactly, you know. And like, I've had situations where, um, it was the second presentation that we did together. Um, I have a friend who's a teacher and she brought me into her school and, uh, one of the students in the second class that I gave was, is a Mormon. Yeah. Right. And I said like, cause at this school, she asked me to be as real. As I can be, right? So there was a couple F-bombs, a couple, you know, because I get as real as the kids need me to get, right? I mean, if they can't handle that, then they're not going to learn. Right. And I I said to to Cassie, who was the teacher, um, is like the way I speak going to be an issue? And she said, no, she's all right with it. And she's one of those students where she understands that the, the way that she lives and does things is a little different 
than how like society does it right so if she's uncomfortable she's very comfortable just getting up and leaving and excusing herself so it was really interesting and she she didn't leave the whole presentation and i was i got real yeah i got very real and she stayed and enjoyed it and asked questions it was it was really cool to see nice it's nice to see like especially in toronto like we're we're lucky enough to have different cultures and backgrounds and stuff and people understand that their culture is not the same as ours and vice versa. And, you know, like, if you don't want to be in a situation, you can just leave. Yep. But if you want to understand and grow, then you can just learn from, from yep. listening and seeing what people go through. Exactly. And vice versa, right? Exactly. Oh, man. Crazy intense. Yeah. Um, so where where do you see yourself, like, in 10 years from now? Whoa. <laughs> Bro, I don't know where I see myself next week. No. Um, I mean, so you're 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 working towards. Sorry. Well, we'll back up a bit. I guess. Well, we haven't talked about what you're currently doing now. Um, you're still uh, speaking. You kind of took a back back seat on it, and you're getting back into it now. Um, and also, you with uh, you were talking about uh, your Hall of Fame inducted for wheelchair basketball. So that means you're not playing wheelchair basketball now. So what are you doing now? So I, my basketball career ended very beautifully, if you ask me. Um, as I mentioned before, I have a Jewish mother. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously, I'm Jewish. Um, and I got to play my very last basketball game in Israel. Nice. On my champagne birthday. Oh, amazing! That was my last game ever, <laughs> and I. So you been, celebrated real well. With yeah, that. exactly. I, I celebrated with Amari Stoudemire. That night, actually, <laughs> <It's> crazy, <laughs> right? So, I've. You called him up just for your retirement party, yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, wrapping up my basketball career, I actually wanted to wrap up my sports career. Yeah. I didn't love playing anymore and once you lose the love of the game or the sport or sports in general it's when you know it's time to stop yeah especially with something like athletics so i stopped playing basketball and i received about 14 emails and 30 calls a day from kevin orr who is the head coach of wheelchair rugby canada Mm -hmm. hey saw you play basketball come out hey saw you play basketball (laughs) come out this pretty much had it on repeat for yeah, you, eh? <laughs> yeah. Kevin, like, I really don't want to. Yeah. You know, at that point, I saw wheelchair rugby as a bit of a slower game. It was played for... You have to be a, a quad, so all four limbs had to be affected for you to play. Not really down for that. Yeah. I don't want to play. Kevin, I don't want to play. Kevin, I don't want to play. <laughs> Just come to a practice. All right, shut up. <laughs> like, enough. I'll, I'll come now. I'll come. That <laughs> was five years ago. I am now on Team Canada. <laughs> um, for wheelchair rugby. For wheelchair rugby, yeah. And uh, it's probably the best decision I ever made in my life. Amazing. Um, and you guys are heading to Peru, Peru yeah. for qualifying for possibly. Yeah, so, so it's the this, Pan Am Games. Yeah. And if we win this, we qualify for Tokyo 2020. Which would be amazing. Which would be... I can fit in your suitcase, nice. right? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, you know, you, you talk about sports and teams and what it's like to play on a team yeah how different is it than would you say for basketball to wheelchair rugby just 
I wouldn't even say basketball to wheelchair rugby. As I said, I played hockey before too. Hockey, basketball, just to come around every come sport away from it. I've ever played. I've played on a plethora of different teams. I have never been on a team with a more solid group of people in my life. It's insane where we really are you have each other's back. We're family. Yeah. Like, you know, we we sat down as a team and came up with words that we wanted people to you know, when people hear these words, they yeah. want to think of Wheelchair Rugby Canada and when people think of Wheelchair Rugby Canada, we want them to think of these words. Number 1 on almost every single player's list was family. Nice. And it it's what are the top five of the list? If you so our our list, we've uh, we've condensed if you can it. Share it. Yeah, 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 yeah. And our our team is. Um, oh man, I'm on the spot now. No, I can't remember. Uh, <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> right. So it's um, family. Family. Oh my god. Okay, we can come back to. We'll you. come back to this. Okay. Holy shit. <laughs> no um, stress. Um, but I mean, do you feel that uh, with? Um, are they older guys in general? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. do you feel like the maturity and the life experiences they've that everyone's gone through it just brings that to to have that uh, camaraderie and that family kind of feeling? Yeah. Family, pride, passion, and relentlessness. There you go. That's that's how what we want people to remember us by. Yeah. Right. So. Because it is a it is a little bit more of a physical sport than, uh, than you basketball. could say that. <laughs> um, if you're feeling a little angry that day, you can get a little frustration yeah. now. <laughs> One of my very first tournaments, I broke three ribs, oh. uh, and that's the day I decided I wanted to do this for the yeah. rest of my life. You're like, all right, like, if I can have this happen to me, then I can do that to someone exactly, else. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. No, um, yeah. So family, pride, passion, and and relentlessness. And I think those words all go really hand in hand. We're very, very fortunate mm-hmm. that our coaching staff is incredible. Our head coach, Patrick Cote, was uh, the statistician for Team Canada and then the assistant coach for Team Canada, and now he's the head coach. So he's really worked his way up. He's been around the sport. I was say, been around it for So he is one of those coaches who knows how to get the best out of his teammates yeah. or out of his players and our assistant coach David Wilsey is it's very hard for me to talk about Dave um, so there's a classification system in wheelchair rugby the more disabled you are the lower your class mm-hmm. the less disabled you are the higher your class and it goes from a zero all the way up to a 3.5 okay I'm a 2.5 Dave for many many years was the best 2.0 in the world yeah and dave really gets the sport he's been in the sport for a very very long time and dave kind of took on the role of being like a father figure mm-hmm. in in my life whenever i've got something going on or yeah. whatever i can call dave <clears throat> your mentor father figure. yeah he's i can't say enough nice things about dave and I'm just so fortunate that, you know, we have that relationship. That relationship, but like, Dave's very intense, right? He's an ex-player. Yeah. So Dave can bring it up to a thousand. Yeah. And get the best out of you that way, where Pat can get the best out of you at twelve. Yeah. 
right? So when you put those two coaching styles together, Just it makes for around. amazing success. Our team is is amazing nice. right now. And it's, this is going to be the first time for wheelchair rugby, well, rugby in general, to be in the Olympics, right? No. So wheelchair rugby's been in, I want to say London was the first okay. for the Paralympics. Okay. That was how long ago? Eight. 2012? Okay, yeah. Eight years ago? Well, almost eight years ago. I can't believe it's almost 2020. Maybe already. Sydney? That was 96. But, so it's been around a little it's bit been, It's been in the Olympics for a really long time. Okay. Wheelchair rugby. So that's, and like, they've been to the Olympics and stuff before. Yeah, Dave's been to the Olympics, and actually, my coach, um, Garrett, uh, Garrett Hickling, is <clears throat> my coach in Toronto, who I train with every day. Nice. He is one of the best players in history. Um, he was the, the first player inducted into the Wheelchair Rugby Hall of Fame. Okay. Um, the International Wheelchair Rugby Hall of Fame. Oh, wow. He, <clears throat> he knows so much about the sport. It was really interesting. Um, one of the chair manufacturers, um, who I actually get my chairs from, uh, Vesco, yeah. is, uh, is the name of the company. Sponsor. Right? <laughs> um, Chuck, if you're listening. Um, so Vesco has an ex-player. And also, like, Troy is one of the best. With, I've, I never saw him play. Yeah. But just based on how people talk about him and, yeah, you know, how well-respected he is. Yeah. So <laughs> it was really cool. One of my Actually, it was my first international wheelchair rugby trip. Um, we got to be on a bus and Choi and Vesco happened to be there. So, you know, we're all these young players and we're just, just want to talk to Choi, all of us, right? Yeah. So we're on the bus and Choi's at the front of the bus and everyone's just, hey, Choi, hey, Choi, and we're all just asking him all these questions. And it was really cool. Um, one, of the, one of the guys said, who's the dirtiest player you ever played against? Garrett Hickling. Yeah. Uh, next question was, Who's your favorite player you've ever played on a team with? Garrett Hickling. And like, <laughs> yeah, it was just, on your, you want, you want that right? kind of guy on your team. Exactly. Right? No, it was really interesting that like so many people will say that G, we call him G. Yeah. Uh, G is like a, the true like best player ever nice. in, in the sport. So it, I'm very fortunate to, to get coached by him every day. Where, you know, every day he's teaching me something about the sport. Just those little things right? make it a little bit better. Exactly. Whether it's, you know, I don't have to go 100 miles an hour yeah. all the time, right? Slow down. Work smart. Take a look. Exactly. How to conserve your energy. Like, he teaches little things yeah. like that, not just do this, do this, do yeah, this. Especially when you're in a tournament environment. Exactly. Right? No, Garrett, I'm, like I said, my coaching staff that I have behind me is incredible and i mean even the ontario program um we have the ontario wheelchair sports association yeah. behind us and you know it's it's gone through a lot of changes and for the positive yeah we have uh the woman that runs it her name's laura wilson and laura when i first started rugby as i said i i didn't really want to play at first right yeah. so i wasn't committed yeah you're hesitant at all yeah so like i'd go to th- procrastinating maybe one or two practices a week yeah, yeah, yeah. if that 
And, you know, Team Canada didn't want to fund me. They didn't want to do anything. Mm-hmm. And Laura just, Lauren Garrett, actually, Laura and G both just fought, cool. fought, fought. Hey, he, we'll get to him. Yeah. We'll, we'll make it happen. We'll make it happen. Just How many don't times are you practicing up. now? Now we're practicing. Uh, I'm at practice four to five days a week, okay. usually two a day. Two a day. Yeah. So Ten practices a week sometimes. Yeah. Where, so usually a training schedule for us will be Monday and Tuesday. We're on the court usually from 11 till 1, 1.30. Mm-hmm. And then lunch and then in the weight room from 2.30 until 4.30. Wednesdays, we usually do a video session either downtown Toronto or Mississauga, depending. We alternate because we have players that live in Mississauga and players that live in Toronto. So yeah. we alternate that. Uh, Thursdays, we just have a weight session, um, usually from one thirty to 3.30. Okay. And then during like the regular, like the school year, I guess, we have a gym that we train at Thursday nights from 6 to about 9-ish. Fridays, we only have a court session, no weights. Um, that usually goes from 12-ish until 3-ish. And then on Saturdays, we drive two and a half hours to London, Ontario, mm. practice from 12.45, 1 o'clock until 4-ish, and then drive home afterwards. So it's a busy week. Yeah. How do you get your your mindset to, to just keep pushing, especially, like, as you said, you were kind of hesitant to start getting back into this, but what would be, like, your, your mindset and, like, I don't know if your routines uh, play into effect in it, but uh, just to... To get you like pumped for, for for going to practice and you know practicing ninety percent of the time and playing ten percent games, right? Yeah. It's just like any athlete going to the Olympics, especially especially like when you think of uh, hundred yard sprinters, they practice all year round just for ten seconds, yeah. <laughs> you know, and they have to have their energy and whatnot. So, what is your your preparation or mindset and routines kind of to to get you ready for the week? That's a great question. Um, I'm going to split it up because routines, preparation are definitely one thing. Mm-hmm. Um, mindset, totally different. And obviously there's days, very, I don't want to yeah, practice. I just don't. And it's remembering. And I think something that you brought, I'm glad you brought up hundred yard sprinters. They're sprinting for themselves. Yeah. Not practicing yeah, okay, I'm practicing for myself, but I'm not just practicing yeah. for myself, right? I have 11 other people, so another other 11 other players plus staff coaching, yeah. that, count on, that you. count on you, right? So, you know, in, in that aspect, it's easy. Yeah, you have that right? accountability kind of... You're not, you're not doing it for you. Yeah. And I'm very... We've started a new program with Team Canada, a, a mentorship program now, where some of the veteran players will mentor the the newer New younger guys um so that's really cool because you know we they hold us accountable yeah right where my mentor is absolutely just a gem uh his name is mike whitehead and we call him whitey and he's just a big bear yeah you know like just the nicest guy and we kind of grew up similarly and I'm very, very fortunate that Team Canada put us together. Yeah. 
because it's kind of just a random thing yeah that they were yeah doing. they they obviously like looked at people's personality and types tried, and tried to match a tried to bit. match yeah and you know mike and i are just a perfect fit i i call him dad when we're on the road because we we room together right yeah, yeah. so we've been rooming together now for about two years oh wow so like it really is so you really have a good relationship yeah father-son relationship you know i'm 31 <laughs> uh i won't I know Mike will probably listen to this, so I won't give away Mike's age. But just a couple years old. Couple years old, yeah. But it's awesome. Like there, when we're like really at a tournament, when we're at a training camp, it's he's a little more lenient. But when we're at a tournament, no, phones off by ten, yeah, lights out by ten thirty. But the cool thing, being Mike's uh, mentee, is that he keeps me accountable in the sense of when we are at tournaments or training camps or whatever. Yeah. Okay, yeah, phone's off and away by 10, but usually 10 to 10.30, hey, when you did this during during camp today, when you did this exact play, what was your mindset when you went left instead of right or turned back or whatever? Yeah, because a lot of it is instinct, right? Yeah, what was your mindset? Okay, so I was thinking this and whatever, whatever, whatever. Okay, I, I see where you're coming from. But, and for half an hour, we just talk shop before yes. we go to bed. And it really, while you're getting ready to go to sleep, you're just thinking about, okay, maybe for this may- next day. Maybe I can put my head up a little quicker exactly. or something and see it opening on the right side. Exactly. And go to the or yeah, so it's it's really cool how, how that works. You're going through film in your head, essentially, right? And, and we do a lot of that. We do a lot of film work, yes. right? Like we, like I said, our Toronto group, um, unfortunately, Mike lives out in um, in Maine. Okay, yeah. So he, him, his wife, and his kids live out in Maine. So it's a little tougher. So it's get. a little tougher to do video with Mike. But uh, a few of my other teammates, there's three of us, four of us in total that are based in Toronto. Mm-hmm. And once a week, we get together to do film. And it's nice because two of us are, are newer players. Two of us are rookies, so yeah. to speak. And we have two veterans. Nice. So, so you can bump ideas off them. Exactly. It's, and you can probably really still cool. throw ideas to exactly. them. Too. Exactly. And we all are so different. Like two, Our two veterans are the same classification. So they're both 2.0s. Okay. Completely different players with completely different personality types. Yeah. Right, where I know if I'm playing with Travis, usually he's going to want the ball back from me. So Travis will inbound. He's going to probably want the ball back. Yeah. Cody likes to be the quarterback. Cody will like to give me the ball and say, hey, turn left, push straight, use Eric, do this, do that. You guys set picks. He likes to, yeah. So it's really interesting how very similar functioning players. Yeah. Just different completely way. different players, right? Yeah. It's it's really cool. It's really really cool. And that's what brings the whole team together, and, exactly. and everyone knowing their 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 like role, their, their role, in, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, and as for preparation goes, I know we we talked about me getting in trouble from yeah. uh, that school. <laughs> preparation is my car stereo up to sixty. Marshall playlist <laughs> usually starts with "Lucky You" by Joyner Lucas yeah. and Eminem. <laughs> And so just get yourself pumped up. Just getting, especially for rugby, man, getting yeah. fired up. I want to, oh, yeah. want to hit somebody. I know. When I played I rugby people, in high man. school, like we used to listen to MLP any right? before the games. Right. <laughs> so yeah. just getting yourself, just getting yourself ready, getting warrior mode kind of thing. Exactly. Right? Yeah. For me, the big one, like right before a game, that I like to listen to almost every single game. 
fight music by D12. Yeah, yeah. Right? Like, just ready to fight. <laughs> Let's go. Nice. So, and then your mindset and stuff to get yourself, you know, I, I would, like, I guess to, uh, to get yourself in the mindset of, I don't really want to play. And then now, now you're playing. And when, I guess, when was that, that trigger to, to just go all in kind of thing? And you used to fully switch. So for me, it was when I really sensed that they didn't believe anymore yeah. that I was going to make that turn. And yeah, something to prove them wrong. Yeah, and I met, uh, not long after I started playing rugby, I met my current girlfriend. And uh, she has, I don't, I mean, yeah, the best way to say it is she's helped me become a man mm-hmm. where to feel a little more confident I feel not even feel more confident because I've always had that confidence where she's kind of just pushed me to be better yeah right where before I was like I could just have fun whatever yeah. whatever but like now it's like shoot like a family and a wedding and all that stuff it's not that far yeah away Right, like uh, thinking would, about it, you we think, it, yeah, we've like we've been talking about it in like probably five, five to seven years, we'll want to be married, and yeah. seven to ten years, we'll want kids. So, I mean, we're really getting there, and it's like, damn, life's not about me yeah. anymore, right? There's and a bigger picture, and yeah, like rugby and her together were the chemical that just exploded me into you know who i wanted to become yeah because it's a full-time job right yeah and and that part gets hard yeah right where you know we are a young like we've been together five years but we are a young couple yeah so it's hard like going to peru like yeah and and, barely being able to talk to her and and stuff too yeah so it's difficult because like we want to spend so much time together but in the long run, it's like this is rugby's the best thing that ever happened to me, yeah. hands it's, down. It's getting you physical and getting your yeah. rage out a little bit and giving yeah. you uh, something like worth doing, kind of thing. I'm yeah, worth I'm, getting up for. Kind of. I'm thing in too. the best shape I've ever been. I've been in since my drug addiction. Yeah. Right, like obviously before my drug addiction. <laughs> But yeah, that what happened with no. Yeah, yeah. You just do slimmed out a little bit. Right? Yeah, but you know, and and I really owe who I am now to her and to rugby. Yeah. I mean, obviously, I'm not who I want to be yet. Yeah. I have so much growth still in me, but I'm very very fortunate to to have the opportunities in life that I yeah. I have, and you know, I talked about my coaching staff. And uh, my my coach, Patrick, um, our head coach, he knows, um, I guess this will be a good time in the podcast to kind of get into this part a little bit. Um, I have some mental health issues. Mm-hmm. Um, I was diagnosed by a doctor with depression. So it doesn't matter how great in life you're doing. Yeah. It's chemical. It's in your brain. And it, it strikes when it strikes. Yeah. And there's F all you can do about it. And the great thing with rugby is that, you know, some athletes or whatever might feel like they can't talk to their staff about their mental health issues because, yeah. oh, 
if I tell him I'm depressed today, he's not going to play me. Yeah. Where it's almost Pat, is it like the opposite Pat's the effect? complete opposite. Where I can tell Pat the morning of the biggest game of our lives that I'm having a mental breakdown. Yeah. And he'll sit with me, have breakfast, we'll chat, we'll just talk. He'll we'll go for a coffee. We'll do something like I had when we were just in Japan. Um, I was having a bit of a moment where my mind was just... It, it wasn't even so much a breakdown. It was yeah. like I was just... Uh, I was emotional because I was thinking of where I was four years ago where I, I didn't make the Pan Am yeah. team. That was So Pan Am games were in Toronto four years ago. And I wasn't committed, and I didn't make the team, and it sucked because yeah. I was. It was my fault. Yeah, you could have made it if you I, pushed yourself. If I had tried, and I committed myself, I could have been a bench warmer on yeah. that team at least. And now, I'm on the team, and I'm a, like an important part of the team. Yeah. So you know, I asked Pat if we could walk to the gym together because we. It was a short walk, so I asked if we could Did walk. Did you feel kind of overwhelmed by? It was just emotional, like, damn, like, I can't believe I was that guy four years ago. And he just, he walked with me and he said some of the nicest stuff. I won't share it because it's, you know, between the two of us. But he just totally made me feel incredible. Yeah. And (laughs) I was ready to play. Right? And he gave you the ball. Exactly. And let you go. Exactly. So it was really, really, it's really cool how, you know. Just to get someone else's perspective. Yeah. Of how much you've grown. Exactly. In in a positive way. And exactly. Not to, to put yourself down. Because our, our self-talk is. <laughs> so important, right? Yeah. And, and it, self-talk can take over us, too. For like, sure. And know, it goes and that's to what show. causes a lot of these. Absolutely. These. Uh, situations and breakdowns and stuff absolutely and it goes to show doesn't matter if you're a star athlete doesn't matter if you know logic has has talked about having mental health issues right so you got guys like logic guys like demar Derozan, who's a spokesperson for for mental health issues these guys are top of their league yeah right and if they can go through it anyone it it can happen to anybody right like Like, a mac miller right So you never know who's going through it. So it's not something to be ashamed of or to be down about or like, right? Like, look at me. Like, yeah, okay, I've got no limbs. Yeah. You know, my dad is kind of a rocky relationship. Yeah. So like, you can look at me and be like, oh, okay, like maybe I can understand why he's got mental health issues. Why yeah. I think I'm gorgeous. I, I do. <laughs> I Channing Tatum and Eminem and Justin Timberlake like mixed up oh. in a pot, like missing a few parts, you know. <laughs> Um, but that's one of your go-to lines eh? yeah it is is. that and cuddling with me is uh, the best because you don't have to fight for legroom at the bottom of the bed Uh, but no seriously mental health can strike anybody it doesn't matter how accomplished you are it doesn't matter who you are it can it can strike yeah right and i think this day and age where we're becoming so much more accepting of mental health issues yeah. is is awesome where you know people can feel comfortable going to yeah. a coach and being like hey i do i do feel like it's it, we're in a better place for sure but at the same time we have so many things that cause it to yeah and just uh 
social media of, you know, wanting to be perfect and being a Kardashian and, yeah. and all that stuff, right? But, I mean, it's... It, those platforms also, as we just said, this, it helps with the conversations and For stuff, sure. you know, and just being able to talk and, and knowing that you're not going through it alone, right? For sure. And I think, you know, one of the things that plays a part in I think, like, this might be a controversial statement, <laughs> um, but I think as a, we're going soft a bit as yeah. a society where... You know, people are getting in trouble. Like stand-up comics are getting in trouble for jokes now. Yeah, that's where, a joke. like, if you can't make fun of yourself, yeah, we're gonna have a hard time. Yeah, every situation should be able to be laughed at essentially right? almost. It, and and that's just it, right? Like, all these people that are up in arms over this joke and that joke, and it's when there's so much, so much crazy, bad things going on in the world where right? you can put that energy inside, right? Like. It's it's nuts. I I have a hard time with it because it is tough for sure. Like a, a a buddy of mine and I were sitting and talking about how we've changed so much as a society and like yeah. the and we've words seen the that, change too. Yeah. like so hard with not having any cell phones. Back yeah, then and then now I remember having my Motorola Razor oh, that yeah. like you know like <laughs> people had the sidekick and everything. Yeah, yeah, right. So, but uh, it's it's crazy, and I think. A lot of our issues come from just a little bit too much sensitivity, right? Yeah. Like, could you imagine Dave Chappelle's Chappelle show if it were to air, like, oh, now yeah. as a new show? Yeah, it wouldn't have been that That big. first episode, that first <laughs> that first skit with the blind KKK member, he would have been done. Yeah. would have That show would have never seen the light of day. Exactly. Right? So it's, just, it's, it's really interesting to me that, you know, how society has shifted... And do I think we need to revert all the way back to where we were before? No, I'm not saying that at all. I think as a people, we have become more tolerant. Yeah. But I think we've also become more sensitive and we need to find that medium that, yeah, ground. Yeah, medium right? and stuff, right? It's just, you know, like just even talking about sex ed to kids in schools and teacher, parents are just like, no, I don't want my kid learning that. It's just like, well, then you can teach, teach them. Teach them. But, but I mean... Yeah, like this Mario Lopez to, stuff that's going on. You need to learn insane. from someone else. It's just like when you were saying you, when you went to that program and you were 16 to 18 and you had an older person, yeah. like a few years, talk about that stuff. Like, yeah. You don't want to hear it from your parents. It's no. awkward and stuff. It's, it's very different. Yeah. So it's you want very, to hear it from someone, a professional, essentially, or someone that's gone through it, kind of someone that And that's feels just it. Not even someone that's a professional. Just someone that you can relate to. Exactly. Because I know for me... I will, like when I was younger, obviously, I would listen to my mom way less than I'd listen oh, yeah, yeah. to someone else, well, it's right? Just, it's a kid's instinct to like do the opposite of yeah, what your parents exactly. tell you to do. It's like that girl that comes home with uh, the guy that her dad says he doesn't like, Yeah. right? Like, well, this is the guy I'm getting married to, <laughs> sorry, exactly. right? Well, to wrap things up, uh, I would like you to... Um, I usually ask a couple questions in the You Thought Wrong statement but i'll just let you kind of do what you do for your public speaking and and how you finish your public speaking uh, engagements to okay. to to the youth and to people in general okay so what, what would you what do you say when you when you're wrapping up a show and telling them no limits and you thought wrong kind of statements the reason why no limit especially has a 
ring to it, I guess, in my mind, is, you know, for anyone listening, I'm sure you've been told at least once in your life, hey, man, or hey, lady, you can do whatever you want. The sky is the limit. Mm-hmm. Da, 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 da. Like, I hate that. I absolutely hate it. Because that, that's still a limit. Yeah, right? <laughs> like, we have footprints on the moon, and we have Felix Baumgartner skydiving from space, right? Yeah, like That was crazy. I, to sit here and say that the sky's the limit just isn't true anymore, mm-hmm. right? It's, you know, I'm a big movie nerd, so uh, I'm sure people listening are around our age, you know, um, Lindsay Lohan said it best. The limit does not exist, <laughs> right? Throw back Mean Girls, um, but it really doesn't. You know, if if you take anything away from from our chat today, it's that there really is no limit to what you can achieve. From an eight year old kid who couldn't shoot a basketball yeah. to a thirty one year old kid, Hall of Famer kid, <laughs> who has I'm going to rattle this off as quickly as possible but who has met Princess Diana met the Queen had tea with Nelson Mandela been on stage with Macklemore opened for Carl Wolf taught Drake wheelchair basketball before he was Drake (laughs) wheelchair Jimmy (laughs) right played basketball at the Air Canada Center with Vince Carter, one-on-one, just him and Vince Carter. Played baseball at the Sky Dome with Doug Flutie, set up by Mike Pinball Clemens. Sick. Been to two World Junior Championships in wheelchair basketball. Been to two Canada Games for wheelchair basketball. Getting ready to go to his first para pan am games with wheelchair rugby someone who was really told from birth it's not gonna happen because at birth was told you're gonna die two and a half less than two percent chance at four months old to survive you're gonna die 31 years old has accomplished all that stuff has amazing friends like julian has an incredible mother, has a beautiful, wonderful girlfriend. If I can be told that I'm going to die and end up where I'm at now, and I'm not where I want to be yet. I still have so much growth. Mm -hmm. But everyone in this world has so much growth still that they can grow too. Why? Because there's no limit to what we can become. Thank you, my man. We all have fears, and that's okay. We hope that we have given you something to help you conquer some of your fears so you too can continue to excel at life. Thank you for listening to You Thought Wrong.